Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible talks to help you mature as a follower of Jesus, by Pastor Dom Fiocco. I really enjoy the songs of Christy Knuckles. Uh, check her out if you don't know of her. Uh, she sings her recent song called Valor, uh, which in part reminds us of our Christian journey. I'm marching to the beat of a heavenly drum. I'm standing in a battle that's already won. I can almost hear the sound of the trumpet calling me onward to a better country. I'm standing in strength that's not my own. It's a great reminder that just as Israel travelled in the wilderness wanderings to a better country with the sound of trumpets to guide them, we are also, in the New Testament, called to travel to our heavenly home, to a better country. And we do so marching to the beat of a different drum, eagerly awaiting that final trumpet call. And as we march on, walking by faith, trusting in the promises of God in Christ, we too are to stand firm in a strength that's not our own. And part of that strengthening by God for our Christian journey involves listening to God's word and walking with God's people. So keep doing that, my brothers and sisters, onward to a better country. Well, for the next few Bible talks in Numbers, we're slowing right down in our journey. After about 40 years of wandering around, basically in confused circles across the Sinai Desert, it might be time for a rest. We slow down because the Numbers story comes to a slowdown across chapters 22 to 24. Like a freeway drive that's been flowing nicely, we come to a crawl. In fact, you can turn your engine off, you can unplug your electric car. Previously in Numbers, remember, Israel have stayed for a while at base camp at Mount Sinai. Then they've wandered for a while across the wilderness to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And now we find them on the plains of Moab, getting ready to finally enter the promised land of Canaan. And in chapters 22 to 24, we have this rather bewildering story of Balaam, Balak and a talking donkey. So even before Shrek comes along, God comes up with the idea of a donkey that talks. And this donkey talks some good sense. But that's to come in the next Bible talk. But for now, let's get our context in place. Remember the last episode, Numbers chapter 21? It's one of my favourite Old Testament stories, along with a fantastic story of the she-bears that Elisha calls on to maul 42 teenage boys from youth group. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 2. It's a great story to read to young boys before bedtime, enough to give them nightmares maybe. But anyway, following the bronze snake lifted high on a pole story and the three victories by Israel, or rather by God for Israel, in chapter 21 of Numbers, we hit the brakes and we arrive at chapter 22 in our wilderness wanderings. Numbers chapter 22 verses 1 to 6. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people, because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us, as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, said, messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which was near the river and the land of the people of Amal, to call him, saying, Behold, a people have come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, 
Curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Chapter 22, verse 1, Israel is within sight of the promised land. We read that they can actually see Jericho. And Balak, the king of Moab, so Moab's the region that they're now camped in, he gets a little worried about this mass of people who've just turned up. Uh, the Twitter or the Facebook feed is working overtime as news travels fast to Balak that the previous victories in the cities have been conquered by, uh, by the Israelites in chapter 21. And now he's a little concerned that this little city nation is now, that his little city nation is now in the line of fire. Balak does a quick check with his defence minister about the state of his army and he decides he'll go for another approach rather than wasting war against Israel. King Balak knows of the reputation of a sorcerer, a wizard, a soothsayer. He knows this prophet dude from Mesopotamia. So like a good pagan king, he thinks, why not look this guy up on LinkedIn and get a bit of supernatural assistance to defeat this uh, nation of Israel? Let's contact Balaam the prophet and get him to call down curses on Israel and then we should be right to wipe them out. See, Balaam has a reputation that when he blesses people, it's good. And when he curses people, it's bad. Curses actually fall down upon the people being cursed. In fact, sources outside of the Bible tell us that Balaam of Pethor is quite famous in this part of the world. Back in 1967, in a place called Deir Allah in Jordan, this was following an earthquake, uh, archaeologists found some writings about the seer of the gods a guy by the name of Balaam, son of Beor. It seems his reputation was widespread. Maybe his ancient website was prophetforhire.com. So King Balak gets his government ministers together and he says, let's get this guy Balaam and hire him as a consultant and we should be okay. Bible scholar Don Carson tells a story of a time when he was actually contacted by a random bloke and invited to be this guy's personal theologian. So he would put Professor Carson on a retainer and pay him for services rendered. Basically, if this guy had a question about the Bible or Christian faith or theology, he could simply phone up Dr. Carson and get his views, get his answers to various questions he might have. Now, wisely, uh, Don Carson turned down the offer, uh, not even bothering to ask how much this guy was willing to pay for his services on tap. Uh, the great Don on call, basically. It reminds me of that terrible episode in Judges 17, you might know it, where Micah hires a Levite to be his, per his private personal priest. Well, here Don Carson knew the capacity of his own sinful heart to know that being paid for such a service was not a great idea. By the way, I'm still waiting for such a phone call, but methinks my phone will probably never ring, which will be a good thing. Besides, I can give you my answers to your questions up front now. Uh, it's Jesus. It's the gospel. It's grace. That's about how all my answers will go, apart from uh, I don't really know. Uh, maybe God's word doesn't tell us enough on that matter. Anyway, let's pick up the story again uh, in Numbers. Numbers chapter 22, verses 7 to 12. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. 
And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge you tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and he covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Finally, Balak's diplomats track Balaam down. And of course, they have some cash with them to entice Balaam to do this special cursing job for King Balak. Uh, wisely, Balaam says in verse 8, uh, let me just first check with the Lord, the God of Israel. And the word comes back from God to Balaam, verse 12, don't you dare, Balaam, you shall not curse the people for they are blessed. And this becomes a, a key repeated theme across this narrative. Now, this should have been the end of the matter. God speaks clearly to Balaam. Don't ever try such a thing against my chosen people. So Balaam turns down the king's offer. Okay, good move, buddy. But then in verse 14 to 20, King Balak resorts to the age-old proven method of temptation and enticement. He says, okay, guys, let's offer Balaam more money. Years ago in the US, a poll was taken asking men and women how much money it would take uh, for them to sleep with a stranger, basically to prostitute themselves. Tragically for the men, the average dollar amount was not very much. Uh, for women, it was, it was a little bit higher. But when both men and women were offered a million dollars to sleep with a stranger, a great percentage said that they would actually do so. It was a simple, tragic questionnaire revealing the depths of depravity of the human heart, you see. Offer enough money and greed will kick in. Well, that seems to be the strategy of the king of Moab. Okay, let's dig deeper into the treasury department. We really need this Balaam character on our side. And this time, I'm going to send some more important people. I'm going to send my top cabinet ministers to impress this guy. So when they arrive with money spilling out of their camel sacks, uh, Balaam again says, okay, let me check with God again on this matter. And this time the answer comes back from God. All right, go with these men, but be sure to say to them only what I will tell you to say. Now, I want to stop here in our story, and next time we'll get to the talking donkey bit. I want to point out a few things about this Balaam and Balak story, the original B1 and B2. Firstly, I want us to see the beauty of God's word and its artistry, which is meant to impress and also help ancient Israel and us remember these remarkable chapters and the lessons to take to heart. For Numbers chapters 22 to 24, we have lots of humour and irony and satire happening, I think meant to show us just how foolish it is to take on the God of this universe, to take on God's special people. And it's reminding us of how sovereign and in total control Yahweh is. Across these chapters, we have lots of repetition and patterns, especially of the number three, which is perfect for me, of course, with three daughters, three chickens, three times I've seen Collingwood win a premiership, and of course our three-in-one God, 
that we worship. In this chapter, Balaam has three interactions with God. In our next story, Balaam's donkey has three encounters with the angel of the Lord and Balaam strikes his donkey three times. In chapter 23, Balaam arranges for three sacrifices to be offered to God and across chapters 23 to 24, we have three oracles, three blessings by Balaam in response to Balak's request. And all this takes place over consecutive days, three times. So that's over six days. Make sure, make what you will of, of these numbers in numbers, but I think the threes and its repetition is meant to help us remember this story. And its symmetry and its order reminds us again of our God of order. And also that the Bible really is a remarkable piece of literature to be admired, to be read, and to be believed. Secondly, I want us to ask, I want to ask, what do we do with this Balaam character? I mean, he's a pagan prophet, but he appears to be used by God. He even addresses God as Yahweh, the Lord, the name given to the covenant people of God. But let's ask, is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? Should we cheer him on or should we boo and hiss him like we would for Haman, if you remember our Esther series? Well, upon first reading, Balaam seems an okay guy and he'll go on to speak three amazing oracles and declare some incredibly sound doctrines that would give him a HD in first year theological college. I'm not sure where he'd park his donkey if he was in Newtown in Sydney where I study. But he does speak some remarkable truths, as we'll hear over the coming Bible talks. Now, I have two simple rules that I like to remember when assessing uh, biblical characters. The first one is to think of the acronym JAM, J-A-M. The letters stand for just a man. So no matter how fantastic or godly or used by God these Bible characters appear to be, think jam, just a man. And therefore they are prone to stumble and to sin and in desperate need of a saviour who is more than jam. I also apply this principle to uh, so-called modern day Christian celebrities. I remember years ago when uh, the US preacher and author John Piper uh, came to Australia. There was a guy from my church at the time who rushed uh, to buy tickets to hear him speak in Sydney. And I remember saying to this guy, enjoy the conference, appreciate the faithful teaching of John Piper, but just remember, jam. And the same goes, you see, for any modern day preacher or author that you might admire. Don't put too much weight upon them. For they have feet of clay, and somewhere along the way they will let you down and disappoint and crumble. So jam for men and jaw for women, just a woman, just a man. The other rule to apply when it comes to assessing someone like Balaam, is he good, is he bad, is he somewhere in between? The other rule is to remember uh, this idea of letting scripture interpret scripture. And following these chapters in Numbers, poor old Balaam doesn't come out looking all that good. In fact, after chapters 22 to 24 of Numbers, there is not one single good word across Scripture about him. 
So it's all a negative assessment of his character and his motives. Here's a brief sample about this Balaam character. So in Numbers 25, we learn that he causes Israel to stumble into sin and 24,000 Israelites are killed. And after that, after Numbers 25, Balaam's name becomes code in the Bible for evil and greed and covetousness. Deuteronomy 23 verses 3 and 4, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Joshua chapter 13, verse 22, Balaam also, the son of Beor, the one who practiced divination, was killed with the sword by the people of Israel among the rest of the slain. And Nehemiah and Micah will also refer to Balaam as an evil man who God defeated. And then into the New Testament, it gets even worse. So there's three clear references to Peter 2, referring to false teachers in New Testament days. We read this, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, the false teachers. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Likewise, as a reference to false teachers linked back to Balaam in Hey Jude, verse 11. And then in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, the letter to the church in Pergamon, Jesus says, But I have a few things against you. You, you have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. See, when all is said and done and written, Balaam is no paragon of virtue. He's actually using religion for personal gain, enticing others to idolatry and to immorality. He's clearly a prophet out to make a prophet. So letting scripture interpret scripture shows us that Balaam is a prophet for hire who has no personal relationship with God whatsoever. And yet, and yet, as unrighteous and unholy and unworthy as he is, his oracles, his prophecies, which we'll read of in future Bible talks, they remain true and rock solid. Such is the wonder and magnificence of God and his word that he chooses to use even a Balaam, a Samson, a Nebuchadnezzar, a Jacob, a Saul of Tarsus. All these characters and people he uses to show us that forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. One final point of application early on in this Balaam narrative. Uh, already, do you remember, God has spoken very clearly to Balaam in chapter 22, verse 12. God says to Balaam, you shall not go with these men from Balak. Uh, you shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. And that, my friends, should have been the end of the matter for Balaam. Instead, he is further enticed to bring curses down upon Israel. And each time Balak tries to get him to do his cursing work, and therefore his devilish work, Balaam speaks about praying to God about things and seeing what he has to say. It makes Balaam sound very pious, very religious, doesn't it? 
He says, okay, let me just pray about this matter some more. Maybe God will change his mind a little and let me go, which he does, by the way, as we'll see next time. But the lesson for us is when God has clearly spoken something in his word, there is no need to seek his will in prayer and ask God for further wisdom and guidance on the matter. Remember the illustration I gave about that debased survey of sleeping with a stranger? If you were to ask, if you were asked that question, it's not a matter of saying, well, let me pray about it and seek God's will as to how I should answer. No, God has clearly spoken in his word about sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant. When God's word tells us to belong to a church family, we aren't to say, well, let's seek God's will on this one. Maybe I'll even pray and fast about what he wants me to do. Or when God's word tells us not to put money in place of God, we aren't to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do here? Should I give some sort of tithe from my tax refund or should I spend it all on myself? No, when God's word tells us to not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, uh, we aren't to raise this as a prayer point in our small group Bible study about whether, whether or not we should hang around bad company at work. Uh, my hero, Keith Green, uh, who is jam, by the way, but now jam in heaven, uh, he writes, Praying about something that God's word has already spoken about is like picking up the phone and doing all the talking and then hanging up before the person on the other end gets a word in. The lesson is simple for us. What Balaam didn't do. You see, when God speaks a clear word in his clear word, obedience is what is required. Well, let's ask God for his strength to be his people who seek his counsel and then be doers of his word. Well, I hope this Bible talk's been helpful. Uh, more to come in this fascinating story. But for now, if you're expecting, uh, maybe don't name your baby boy Balaam or Balak. And perhaps that's another lesson well, we can learn from these chapters. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Meals for Maturity. Keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.